Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, world. This is Tom Hayes from Boston, Massachusetts on April 30th, 2015, and I am thrilled here on the show called Upbeat, thrilled to have Tony Davies, who is an actor, historian, World War I aficionado who portrays Sergeant Riley, a fictional recruiting sergeant of World War I. So uh, sit back, relax, and uh, it, I'm so honored, first of all, to have you, Tony, all the way from the Thank UK. Uh, this is yeah. just a blast. Now, I just want to let the people know that we had a fantastic time with your wife, Jane <laughs> Kenyon, who was, uh, yeah. was absolutely brilliant, one of the best shows we ever did. I think some unbelievable practi- practical advice. I, so if I can follow, ask I you... What what is what is it like living with a superwoman like that? Well, <laughs> well, she's difficult to keep up with. Let's put it that way. Um, okay. Yeah, she's a whirlwind, and um, I'm so impressed by what she's doing and 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 the stuff she's doing for young girls and and the uh, that area and stuff. It's it's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Um, it's, yeah, she does take some uh, keeping up with though. <laughs> well, now I'm curious. Uh, how did you guys, just before, I want to get into, before we get into Sergeant Riley, I want to get into a little bit about you, so the audience has a, um, you know, reference point, a backdrop. For, um, okay. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your story, uh, why you you became a historian, why all of a sudden you became interested, how you met Jane. So bring us, just give us a little bit about Tony Davies, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. Um, well, yeah, I'm I'm 60 years old. I was a police officer over here in the UK for 30 years. And um, I got very badly assaulted one night, and so that was the end of my career. And um, so that was uh, in the 90s. I then, um, I then went and worked with the United Nations. I was out in Bosnia and Kosovo for a while, and, and then uh, Western Sahara with the United Nations. Um, and then once I left there, um, I'd met Jane, and that was the end of my travelling. She put a stop to that. Um, and then I, uh, I uh, started writing. And um, I've written three books now about the local lads here in, in uh, Cheshire, this part of Cheshire, that were killed in World War I. I've, I've kind of long had a, a love of, of World War I, um, ever since a kid. And I'm speaking to my grandfather, who, who was a soldier in World War I. Um, but he never spoke about the war, as, as most of the veterans, they just don't speak about it. But um, he, there was a program on the BBC in the 60s called The Great War, and it lasted an hour, and it was on, I think, about 17 weeks. And I used to walk down to his house. We lived in the same town. And I'd sit with him, and, it, and he'd open up. He'd tell me about different things, Hellfire Corner, what it was like at the Somme, lads that, that he'd been with, his friends that were lost in the war, and... For that hour, he would talk, and I would sort of absorb this stuff about about the war and and how it how it moved on, and because he joined in 1914, and uh, he he'd lived right the way through the war, and uh, so he 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 had some great knowledge of it about life in the trenches, but only for that hour. Once that hour finished, that was it. He never spoke about it again, and no matter what. And you think as a kid, you've got plenty of time. I can get this information from him again. Don't worry about it. But life kind of took over, and my grandfather died. And mm. now we've got no one here in the UK, or anyway, that actually fought in World War One. 
So all that information has now gone. But when he passed right. on, I got letters. I found letters uh, that he'd sent to my grandmother. Um, and looking at his birth certificate, it was only looking at his birth certificate that I realized this guy enlisted in 1914. He was born in 1900. So he enlisted wow. at the age of 14 years old. Wow. And wow. the age was, was, was 18, you could join up but you had to be 19 to go abroad to fight. But my grandfather had signed up at 14, and I've got letters dated 1916 where he's on the Somme, which, as most people will know, it's the worst. The 1st of July 1916 was the worst day the British Army ever sustained. Um, on that day, 59,000 men were killed, wounded, or missing in one day, most of those in the first two hours of, the, of that battle. And that battle wow. went on for four months, five months. So he was there, and, and some of his letters are brilliant because when you look at the... Uh, they had to obviously pass censor. And one of the letters was, was said, we're, fo we're fine here, save only my mate Ernest. So if you take S-O-M-M-E of the first letter of each of those words, he's telling my grandmother, or his girlfriend at the time, his sweetheart, that he was on the Somme. Oh, so looking at his other letters... I look at his other letters, and that second sentence will spell out a place in either France or Belgium. But when, when it comes to uh, 1917, and, and he's, he, he, he tries to spell Passchendaele, the sentence A makes no sense whatsoever, and he does <laughs> not know how to spell Passchendaele, because it's just a mess of letters. But he, he's trying to tell her he's, he's at Passchendaele, and Passchendaele was, was terrible. It was, it was awful because um, it was mud and it was it was dreadful. That's the that's where I my love of, of World War One came from um, from from him. Um, and now I've retired and and I can dedicate some of my life to to actually telling kids as best I can going into schools dressed in the World War One kit and and explaining what it was like for these lads 100 years ago today. Um, yes, what it was like yeah. to fight, and and not being parochial and say British, you know, because the Germans, the French, the Turks, the Austro-Hungarians, the Americans, all had the same experience. So I don't just portray the fact that I'm British. Yes, I am a British soldier, but this was a world war. You know, we had the Chinese that were involved, you know, Portugal, you name it. Even Brazil had declared war on on, on Germany. So. There were so many people involved in it. It was a the first real world war, um, and so it, it, I tried to portray that and, and as, as for everybody that fought, not just the British, you know, or the, or the yeah. British Empire, really. Well, I think you told so me that, that's, um, that's, before we got on the air here that it was the casualties were two hundred, two hundred what forty times two hundred thirty percent more than the Second World War. Um, percent more than yeah. World War II. Yeah. And just so back we, here, yeah. I wanted to ask you this before, but we can ask it now. So what was the difference because of the the rules of war, rules of engagement change that, you know, no gas, what, whatever? Tactics. Um, the tactics mm -hmm. uh, were, I mean, bear in mind that we look at just Britain. Um, they, we were used to fighting a colonial war. 
um, we weren't really that ready for 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 the, that sort of war. We hadn't experienced um, machine guns, tanks, aircraft. These were all new things that we had to develop a, a tolerance for on the battlefield. Uh, we'd never experienced them before. Um, we we were out in Africa, you know, or, or wherever colonising places as a colonial army. But we really had to adapt very quickly to the trenches of the Western Front. Um, you take 100 years ago now to, to Gallipoli uh, in Turkey. You know, we we were we we thought we were fighting a far uh, less superior army than us with the, the Turkish uh, soldiers. We 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 overestimated our ability, and of course we paid the price for that. It was a, it was a wholesale yeah. disaster. So. Yep. We we had to learn very quickly um, because with frontal attacks such as the first day of the Somme, which would create you know fifty nine thousand casualties in two hours, most of them in two hours for the British Army, it, it, we couldn't sustain that. You know, and if you was saw that the because the thing, they they did assault was now explain to you know because was America involved at that time or was that most all British. No, it, well, it, I mean, it, it wasn't just British; it was French. It was all our our um, our empire was there at the time. You know, New Zealand, Canada, Australia. Mm -hmm. um, we, we've got the West Indies. Um, you know, we even had a Chinese Labour battalion uh, in, involved. So, so it wasn't just a British affair. It was, the Somme was was a multinational affair, um, and it was. So, but the, the Americans didn't actually weren't really on the ground till early early eighteen. Uh, you declared wow. war in, in in seventeen. So by the time you you trained your troops and, and and got them over here, you sort of late seventeen, early eighteen before the Americans were actually on the ground. Um, and under American leadership, because you, you you didn't sort of you you wanted to keep your troops under American leadership. And so they were, when they arrived, um, kind of, they weren't prepared either for what they had to face. I mean, we've been wow. doing it for, for three and a half years. When the Americans right. arrived, they weren't, they weren't really prepared for, for what they were going to face on the Western Front in, in, in Belgium wow. and, and in France. But my grandfather wow. would never have anything said um, against the Americans. He, he got, um, he got, um, he, he fell, and he was rushed to. He'd done something to his ankle, and he was rushed to an American first aid post. And the treatment he received there, he, he said he, he was just amazed. And um, <laughs> so, if ever anybody ever mentioned the Americans, he, he was. I think he was more American than he was Welsh. You know, he just <laughs> nothing could be said about the, the Americans because of the way he was treated in, in that first aid. Um, you know, first aid tent somewhere on the Western Front. <laughs> wow, wonderful, wonderful. Uh, so now, um, so what was the Somme? Because you've, you've piqued my curiosity, and hopefully the listeners are interested as well. But what, what actually, how did it all lead up to that one battle where, where there was such, was it because of the assault of the planes and the machine guns? Well, well, no. What, what was happening at the time, um, it, the, the Germans had decided that they were going to take Verdun, and Verdun is a very special place to the French. It, it's kind of like their spiritual home, if you will. Um, and they, they, they had decided they were going to attack Verdun, and 
they they hit it with everything they had and um, it was a massive massive battle so in order to try and relieve Verdun they decided that sort of a few miles away from Verdun on the the Somme River they were going to cause an attack and draw the Germans away from Verdun to to make the attack so the the attack went went forward at at 7:30 on the on the 1st of July um the the uh week before leading up to that battle um over a million shells were fired at the Germans uh in their bunkers and it was believed that there would be no wire um all the Germans would be dead uh, because of the this massive massive onslaught of artillery um, against the um, against their fortifications, what we didn't realise was that the, the Germans had dug down 40 feet, so they wow. were in bunkers, well well under the ground, and so most of our artillery wasn't touching them. So when we did attack, thinking this is this is going to be a walkover, they were even given footballs. First one to kick a ball into the into the the trench, wow. um, you know, would get a prize. Um, so when they went over, they were expecting a cakewalk, and in point of fact, the Germans came out, sighted their machine guns, and it, they apparently it was just like siding corn. Wow. Um, the way the machine guns were just mowing down men, as if you were just siding corn down. Um, wow. And, um, but not having learned, they sent wave after wave after, of men over the top. Um, my, wow. my grandfather uh, didn't go over until the 14th of July, and I've got a letter dated that day. Um, he went with he was with the Royal Welsh Fusiliers, and uh, they attacked a place called Mammoth's Woods on that day, and they were absolutely slaughtered. Oh. Um, luckily, my, my grandfather came back, but um, th- it was it was uh, an horrendous horrendous time. Um, yeah, we uh, I, I want to go back to, to the. Learn. Wow, you know, this is such a gripping story in itself. I when I, I want to go back to the fact that you spent this hour a week. Now, was it during when the program was on? Then he would talk through the program yeah. or talk after. Oh yes, only, oh, he would talk if, through if the program. If he saw something like there's a place called Hellfire Corner, and which you'd see you see horses going round it, he said, "Oh, I was there." And such and such happened, and um, you know, we're just down the road there. There was such and such, and and. I was, you know, I was whatever he was doing that day, bringing stuff up or, you know, and he said, oh, we lost Charlie there. And he'd mentioned mm-hmm. somebody. Um, and then, you know, you'd see you'd see the psalm and, and he'd say about the, the sound of, it was like trains going over over his head, which was the shells wow. that were being sent, wow. million, million of shells in a week um, were, were sent wow. over to us and they, but if you go to the French battlefields today, um, and a, you know a lot of people will, will will go and have a look around. One thing I would, if you don't take anything away from this time talk with me, if anybody goes to the French battlefields and you're walking around in France or, or Belgium, and you see a piece of metal lying in the ground, please do not touch it. These things are still alive. Really? They believe there was over one third of the the artillery we expended just in that week was dud. Wow. So it landed, it didn't go off, and the, wow. the people are still being killed 
there's, there's wow. a hundred of things since the First World War that's still been killed. Uh, two were killed just the other day, putting in a water pipe, and they struck oh a, a shell that was just in the ground. So if you do go wow. walking in, in, in northern France, you'll see piles of, of, of ordnance that farmers have found, and they'll just leave it. And every so often, the bomb disposal people will come around and take it away. But if you do see a piece of ordnance, a piece of metal in the ground or wherever, please don't touch it. Chances are it's Amazing. still alive. And the chances Amazing. are it will go off. You know, if you shake Amazing. it. After almost 100 uh, years. After almost 100 yeah. years. That's crazy. Yeah, it's, they're still there. Wow. Thousands and thousands of them. And the French farmers are still wow. finding them and they're still putting them to one side. Um, because, it's, I mean, you, you can't believe how much ordnance was set off during that that. Uh, that war, and a lot of it wasn't Great. that well made, so it didn't go off. Wow! You know, so wow. there's a lot of live stuff still still hanging about in the, those battlefields. So please Amazing. don't don't touch any of it. Yeah. What a you know, legacy! What a terrible legacy! You know, I want to get back. Just the, yeah. the name of the show was upbeat for a reason, and uh, you know, because we like to hear individual stories. And I think one of the things that I want to find out about now: you're a police officer for 30 years. You you retire and then uh, I can understand now why you were motivated to you know keep the story alive about World War One and the f- fact that you had this connection to your grandfather. Obviously, it's a way of staying in touch with him. I'm sure every time you pick up the pen, you know he's talking to you and et cetera. Uh, yeah, but, I'm, I'm, I'm so. Go ahead. I'm kind of lucky in in a way that, that people have given me stuff that for me to look after. And the, the cap badge that I, that I wear, if you, anybody goes onto my, my site and takes a look at the, the, the uniform that I've got, um, the, the cap badge actually belonged to a guy called John Hulse. And John Hulse was killed in, in 1918. But what had happened, he'd gone from the Cheshires into the machine gun corps. So when you do that, when you change regiments, you change all your insignia. And he changed his insignia and sent his cap badge home. And his great uncle gave me his cap badge, so my cap badge actually belongs to a World War One soldier who was killed. Wow! So wow. that is a, a, at least I can touch in part. I can touch that war um, with 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 having that that badge. And um, you know, I've got a, a swagger stick that belonged to another guy that was killed in 1918. Um, so bits and pieces that I've got have some relation to, to the war and have actually touched that war. So I try to keep alive their memories um, because we, we can't go and ask anybody anymore what was it like. They've all gone. So we right, try as much right. as we can. You know. I mean, I've got, right, I think exactly. the last count, 375 books on the Great War. So, so wow. you know, I've, I've told Jane I'm not buying any more books. But I'm lying, because every time I go out, I buy something, you know. And, I'm, and she's like, well, I, I'm sure you said somewhere you weren't buying anymore. Yeah, yeah, but I had to have this. It, it was only £5. You know, I tried to justify the fact that I bought this um, this, this book. So you you, on, you, you uh, currently own 475? Yeah, uh, three, three, 375 books. And that's not where counting do you keep them? Well, like, my office looks like um, a library and a museum. Um, because people give me stuff like medals and and I've got a load of medals from the First World War and and different artefacts that people have given me and every soldier 
1914, Christmas 1914, um, was given a little tin, uh, the Princess Mary tin. And in it, if you were under under 18, you got sweets. And if if you were over that, you got cigarettes and tobacco and uh, a, a Christmas card off the king. So I've got, you know, two of those and, and you know, I've got a German spiked helmet, you know, the the Kulpitzer Haubs that, that you see. But if you think about the British soldier and the German soldier, uh, up to 19, up to sort of ni- late 1915, they didn't have tin hats. They fought in cloth caps really? or their picklehaube helmets. Oh. Wow. And the picklehaube helmet is made out of leather, and the wow. British army had cloth caps. So you can imagine wow. that there's no there's no head protection at all. It was only just before the Somme that the British army actually got a tin hat. Wow. So you're thinking about the head injuries with shrapnel and stuff like that. So yes, it, it was we we fought in cloth caps up to that time. So it. It, it kind of brings it home to you what these lads actually had to go through, you know. Oh, my God, um, the horror, right. Yeah, I mean, that, I, I, like I said before, the, the, the actual webbing, when it was fully loaded with all his kit, he had his, when he had his ammunition and, and all the rest of it, and his, his water, and he's got his bayonet, and he's got his a little shovel, and, a, it, you know, the, the handle for the shovel, that's 72 pounds in weight. Mm-mm. That was his, that's his webbing. Um, so he's got that as well, you know, to, to carry. That's Then he's got his rifle, then he's got his, his may have to carry barbed wire or, or a machine gun or something else. So they, they were pretty tough guys. You know, they were pretty I tough guess. guys. That they, you well, know, and you, you know, when you're talking, you're, first of all, people weren't as large as we are today. And the fact that yep. these, they were such a young age, some of these packs must have weighed almost as much as the lads who were carrying them. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. You look at some of them. I mean, the, the youngest lad that we know of um, was um, Sidney Lewis. He was thirteen. He was the youngest oh. lad that we we know of in, that joined the British Army. Uh, he was thirteen. The youngest lad ever that, that we we got a record of was actually joined the Serbian Army, and he was eight. Oh my God! So, so yeah, so wow. there, there, was, there was some pretty young. I think that, I think they estimated there was two hundred thousand underage British soldiers. At that time, because now, it was a I big wanna... adventure. Yeah, they thought, huh? If you, if you, we're you talking know. 100 years ago, people weren't as able to 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 travel as as we are. If you said to someone, "You're going to see the pyramids," you know, that's like saying to you, "You're going to the moon," because these right, lads would, exactly. they were farmers. You know, they 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 never left the land. They had no very little money. You know, they they. they from here, if you think about here, we're twenty. We're about twenty minutes from Manchester. They they probably went to Manchester once, maybe twice a year. Wow! So they didn't really travel, and so they got this big adventure. And after all, when it when it started in fourteen, they were told it's going to be over by Christmas. Ugh. You better get in and get this fun because it's all going to be over. And this this was this was you know Ugh. the summertime. And they were told, you've got to get in. If you don't, you're going to miss it. It's all going to be over by Christmas. So, of course, they, they wanted to get in. They wanted to to sign up, and, and and that's what they did. So they signed up, realizing that only too late, that it was certainly wasn't going to be over by Christmas. 
you know. Um, and of wow, course, over wow, here, wow, wow. over here, what they did in order to help recruiting, which was probably a, a bad thing in hindsight, they formed PALS battalions. So when you joined, you could say, all right, all of us on blog radio are going to join together and we're going to be allowed to fight together. Um, So we would have one regiment of these, of of whatever. And and so whole villages would sign up together on the understanding that they would fight together. So you'd have stockbrokers that would get together and form a a unit. Oh, interesting. Because you're always with your mates. But when it comes to somewhere like the Somme, you've got a village, and and there's a village uh, just outside Manchester uh, called Accrington, and they formed the Accrington Pals. And they had about 200 lads, I think. Forgive me, I don't know the exact numbers, um, that that were working together as one battalion. They went over the top at half past seven on the 1st of July. By half past ten, 107 were killed, wounded, or missing. I think that's the number. Forgive me if I've got the... But I know that that's roughly the number. Um, That's from one little village in Accrington, which is a small um, mill village in in the heart of Lancashire. So the Power Battalion's idea, although great for recruiting, in reality was, was, was disastrous for the villages that were hit. You know, because they they just lost their menfolk in one fell swoop. So it was it, Unbelievable. It, it was not a recruiting wise. It was brilliant, a great thing. I'm going to stay with my mates. And I know these people. I've grown up with them. You know, I'm with my brothers. You know, they don't have tales of three or four brothers going on the same day, being killed on the same day, uh, um, because they work together and they were together. That's what they said was they would fight. So in reality, it wasn't such a great idea um, wow. when it comes to, to to fighting. Um, so it's yeah. So that so that, that's what that's what wow, they have to wow, contend wow. with um, over here. Um, well, before we meet but, Sergeant Riley, I'd like to know. So I understand you know you're interested in there, but you you get retired. Had you written anything before, while you all your life, or did when did you decide to actually pick up a pen and hit the typewriter or whatever the keyboard? <coughs> Um, well, um, I took ill uh, about five years ago, and I've got all these obviously all these stories in my head about about um, being a policeman, and I can either make Jane laugh or totally appall her with, with some of the stories, as you can imagine, of 30 years of being a, a, a Bobby. And um, mm-hmm. so she said, "Well, just write them down, get them out of your head, put them on paper." So I wrote all these stories down, and, and on my computer, I think it got up to about 900 pages of, of, of stories, wow. some, some tragic, some funny, some, you know, all sorts of, the whole gambit of human emotion was was written down. Um, but it's not, you know, it's just stories, individual stories. Um, so... I, I had an idea to, to produce um, a novel which which I've written, and it's I don't know whether you 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 had the American version of Life on Mars uh, with Harvey Keitel in it, um, but yep. the the original version here in in Britain um, where a guy goes back to 1973, well that that was when I 
joined. That was my police station. When you see the 1973 version, that's I'm sure they must have been in my police station to film that. Really? Um, so, it, it, so that's what it was. I set the, set the novel in, in 1973 um, and as a young policeman and then moving it forward. So that's where I got my writing head on. And then um, Jane and I were getting married and I was waiting for her. And in the back of our little chapel on Tabley, um, because there's a, there's a big Georgian mansion house just up the road from us. It was built in the early 1700s. And it's, it's a massive Georgian mansion house. And it's open to the public. But just by there, there's, there's um, a chapel, a small chapel. And that's where Jane and I were married. And uh, right at the back, in a very dark corner, there's a, a wooden board. And on it were nine names of lads from the estate that were killed in World War One. And if you think about this estate, it wasn't that big. So you've got nine lads that were killed in World War One on, on, on this board. And while I was waiting for it, I was reading this board, and, and I wanted to know more. So I started researching each one of these lads. The unfortunate thing was that... that all their records of World War One were stored in London, as you would as you would imagine. But during uh, World War Two, they thought we better save these, so they moved them, and I believe they took them to Portsmouth, which was probably the second most bombed city because it's where all our all our ships were. And so we lost um, around about eighty percent of the records of World War One soldiers. So we've only got 20% of their records still available um, to, to, to look at. The rest have gone. So if you're researching wow. someone who, who actually come back, is very difficult. It's more difficult. If you've got someone that was killed, we have uh, a thing here called the, the Commonwealth Graves Commission, and they look after every soldier's grave, similar to your Arlington, but these, ours are dotted all over the world. And the Commonwealth Graves Commission look after all the, the graves of soldiers that fell in, in all over the world. Um, so we've got a starting point that this guy was killed. We know where he was killed. Um, and we can work it back from there um, and then find out what his unit was doing. Because uh, every regiment has a war diary. And every day they would fill the war diary in. But if you were an officer, your name would go in the war diary if you were killed or wounded or missing or whatever. But if you were an ordinary soldier, your name didn't go in unless mm. something very unusual happened. So it would be 16 officers, 375 other ranks killed today. But you know that uh -huh. your man was one of those other ranks that was killed. So you've got a day, you've got an event. Um, so that's where you can work back from there. If, if if he came home, um, I mean, I've got one one lad that was accidentally shot by a sentry. Mm. Um, so he was shot by his own side. So that's an un, un, unusual occurrence. So that actually was in the diary. So his name went in. Um, one oh, okay. lad committed suicide. We've got one lad who was actually shot at dawn for cowardice. Oh. And if you think if there were 340, just over 340 British soldiers shot during World War One, for cowardice. Um, most of them now have been exonerated and said no, because a lot of them were suffering from shell shock, which was a new phenomenon um, 
right. in, in the British Army. Um, and some thought they were just malingering, you know, and, and so... They, but a lot of the lads were suffering from shell shock. They, they were in a, a mess mentally, and they'd be found wandering behind the lines, you know, having taken their weapon, lost their weapon or whatever. They were arrested, charged with cowardice or desertion or whatever, and put up against the wall and shot. So one of them from locally here was was um, was shot for cowardice. Um, and if you read the record, he was not a coward. Just an unfortunate bloke that got ill through through shell shock, <clears throat> but it was right, not we, understood uh, by the powers that be. Well, we're so, a lot of us uh, un- Yanks are, are big fans of. Well, a lot of us Yanks are big fans of Downton Abbey, and they covered that uh, in this this season. Well, yeah, but the, the, that was. I think the guy put his hand up, didn't he? Uh, there was one guy I, I vaguely remember. Oh no, no, but this no. They, in this season, they actually uh, the uh, God, I forget her name. The uh, the head uh, the head cook, uh, her nephew or something, had. That's right. Uh, yeah, right. So in, and there was controversy over whether or not they would allow him to be on the monument or not. Yeah, well, a lot of them weren't put on. And right. the, the the lad here isn't on our war memorial, or their war memorial right. in the next village, so we are under, in in the process of saying, well, look, he's innocent now, he's been exonerated, his name should go on the war memorial, because it was a wow. big stigma at that time. Well, of course. The other, yeah, there no, were two big I... stigmas. One, if you had a son that was or a husband that was shot for for uh, for cowardice or whatever, or the other was if you were a conscientious objector. And right, conscientious right. objectors went through purgatory um, because they refused to fight. And there's a, a sure. fabulous uh, new thing out on Amazon about some New Zealanders that were um, that refused to fight, and the what they were subjected to um, for not they were brave guys, but in a different sort of bravery. Of course, um, of course. To the gung ho, I'm going to fight, and these were I'm not going to fight. But they went through absolute purgatory for their beliefs, and it's it's just an amazing story. Um, you know, they were imprisoned, they were beaten, they were oh, the treatment they received was was appalling. Um, no, you know, not dissimilar different... from what uh, Muhammad Ali went through here. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's like what you've got to do though is 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 it's like you've got to walk a thousand miles in 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 their footsteps. So you've got to think. You, we can't apply our logic to them. Exactly. You know, uh, we're talking a hundred years ago. They they were different. They had a different mentality. They were. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Really, if you think about the British psyche, was that the the king was was paramount. Uh, we owned one quarter of the world. You know, we were this fabulous empire that ruled the world. And that was ingrained in everybody that you you were you were British, and that everybody else was was below you sort of thing because they weren't British. So you have to look at it from their point of view. Um, it was, it, and I, I laugh at, at Jane because I, I you know she she's into to women's issues, and of course Sergeant Riley would have nothing of that, you know. Um, so when I portray Sergeant Riley, he, he, he will have nothing of that. 
um, sort of ilk, a woman's place is in the home. And that's the firm belief of most of the people of that time. So, so the British Empire was paramount. If you didn't fight for your king and country, you weren't a man. You know, you, you just you just were, were beneath contempt. So right, the, right, the, right, you have right. to put it in their perspective, and looking back on it, we can't judge them. You know, yes, in our way they were wrong, but looking from their perspective, they were only right. they would come out of the Victorian age. You know, of of of, of the gung ho British spirit. So they were different people um, with with different values and different beliefs. And you have to look at it from their point of view and, and not impose our values on them. And um, that, that I firmly believe that that's the way we should look at these, these guys and, and lasses. Yeah, absolutely. And my, I mean, my you, daughters. You know, people have principles, and that's, that's one of the beautiful things of today is that, you know, people who have principles, whether they're in accord with what society deems is correct, I mean, you know, too bad. We do allow a little bit for the individual. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's um, my ethos has always been. You know, I may not like what you say, but I will defend with my life your right to say it. Because exactly. There's a free exactly. country. It's it's it, you've got to have free and openness and frank discussions. I don't like what you're saying, but, but these. Right. If you look at back 100 years, that was totally different. You know, if you said anything against the king or the country or yeah, the empire, yeah. oh, it was yep. it was sedition. You know, and yep. you, you mustn't portray that, you know. But the, the thing here is that uh, my daughter now has got into this and she portrays a World War One nurse. So it's, it's we're ganging up on Jane a little bit, really. <laughs> but, uh, we, we, we have, um, you know, sort of this thing about World War One where she portrays a World War One nurse and we go into schools just really to give the female perspective of what it was like to be a woman in 1914, you know, right. it, it, it 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 wasn't that great. You were still a chattel of your husband or your father. Yeah, you know, you belonged to them. You had no voting rights. You had no rights whatsoever to property and stuff like that. So, it's it's, I mean, it is a different world. Just just 100 years. Absolutely, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a different world. Well, now let's get back to you just for a minute. We've only got about uh, seven minutes here. But I want to, because, again, this is a, the show's called Upbeat. It's about people, their stories. Um, it's an amazing, you know, journey for you. Did you actually finish the novel? Yeah, it's it's here. And, and I, I, funny enough, I, I finished another one. Um, and this one is being published um, next month. Um, but this one's uh, it's set in 1916. But it's Fantastic. combined my two loves. Obviously, there's a police officer, but it's set in 1916, so it's set in the World War. It's a murder story based on a big conspiracy theory around the death of Lord Kitchener, who was one of our government ministers at the time, who mysteriously died when his ship got mined when he was on his way to Russia in 1915. So I've set it around that conspiracy theory that who bumped him off. So I've done that, and uh, we've got a young police officer investigating that. But the war is so still going on around So until this time, until I, I, what I'm trying to piece together here, I'm trying to get your chronology here. Until this time, you sit in the bench and you decide you want to do this recent. You hadn't written anything up until that time. No, nothing at all. Unbelievable. 
So what do you no, think, I, I, because, you, because you said you were ill and you had this time that, and Jane gave you the, the impetus that you decided, well, let's try it. And you, yeah, uh, What happened okay. to the stories? Did the stories ever get published, the police stories? Well, the stories will be, I, I think the stories probably, one of the stories has, has, has made it into, into the start of one novel and then another story has made it into the start of the other. Um, so that was the impetus then. That was the impetus. Yeah. Once you know, I mean, can we talk about the writing process? Just because I, that's a common thread throughout these. Uh, you know, we see what Jane has done with writing, um, and I, I like to anybody who listens encourage them to write. I feel like even if it's a daily journal, something because something yeah. happens just as we're hearing from your story. Uh, you know, that all of a sudden you have a whole new life. Exactly, and, and as I said, there's a big competition here now that Jane uh, has published two <laughs> books. Uh, I've published three, but she's done two CDs. So hang on a minute, I've got to get another one out here. I've got to keep ahead of her. You know, she can't beat me at this as well. You know, it's just, or, you know, it's, it's not it's not happening. You know, she, she's taking over here, so I'm going to have to put a stop to it. Um, so... So there's big competition, big competition here. And uh, but it, they, someone said that that everyone's got a novel in them, or you know, a book in them. Exactly, and everybody's I think got a that, story. That, yeah, and and I I I left school with nothing. I, I I left school without one qualification to my name. Um, and and I didn't find education until I was well into my thirties. Um, and then I, I started to educate myself when I was in my 30s. So, it, but writing is 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 a, is a way of, of of looking at your life and 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 just just putting stuff on paper. And it's 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 a it's a path to sort of I'm going to say enlightenment really about things that happen. Of course, it to is. You. No, no, no. It, you say it, it. It's true. I mean, that's what I'm trying to get at here. People don't understand that it's it's a pathway to the soul. Yeah, and and once you start writing, stuff comes out, and you think, wow, where did that come from? You know, and, and you explore that avenue of yourself. You know, and, right. and and I I look at it sometimes. I think, God, I, yeah, that did, and and how did that affect me? You know, how did, right. how has that made me the person I am? Because because Jane says that I'm I'm a very twisted person. Person, um, <laughs> but having been thirty years as a police officer, you, you're gonna be twisted. In some ways, yes, or of course, for the things that you see and do. So you know, right. you go into a police station. It's not like it's a nine-to-five job. You know, you don't know what you're going to face when you walk in that door. Um, and I, I, I finished up as, a, as an inspector here, so I finished up sort of as um, with some rank. But having been and seen that, um, you know, that it, it, it stays with you. And a lot of stuff still stays with you, but it's a very cathartic process to get it out on paper. And you can oh, deal with an awful I, lot of issues once you do get it out on paper. Right. I tell people, you know, I, because of my history and my life, I dealt with um, lots of ways to get to enlightenment, and a lot of them involved meditation, yoga, whatever. And yes. I found nothing, nothing gets there as quickly as writing. Writing it, 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 it is. It's very solitary. 
I find, I find, I mean, I, I write, I start writing at ten o'clock at night, and I'll write through the night because I find yep. that a better. There's no disturbances. Your, your email's not going. Right. You're not on. You know, there's no social media. You, you can just sit and write. The, the phone's not going to go, and you can yep. you can put stuff out, and it's you know it's quiet. Um, and uh, but, you know, I mean, Jane can write anywhere. You know, which 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 annoys me intensely that she can just go and write and. <laughs> And out it comes, you know, and, and I think, wow, right. that's amazing. Yeah, where did you write that? In a coffee shop. What? Yeah. You know, why did you go? <laughs> Tony, to they're going to, I don't want them to, I don't want them to truncate this before we get a, uh, a, a denouement, so to speak, a winding down. Uh, this right. is fabulously interesting. We didn't get Sergeant Riley on yet. We have to continue at some point. Are you willing to come back? Whenever you want. Whenever you want. I, I, oh, I love it. This I, is, I, is, I, I you're a man of much depth. Yeah, I love it. And I love this connection to the U.K. and uh, and the ability to tr- you know cross the ocean by the way of Internet. It's just a miraculous age. So, but we're going to get shut off in about two seconds. Thank you. Okay. Let's do it again, Thank you. please. 